section thirty of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly craik chapter four part six john gower contemporary with chaucer and probably born a few years earlier though of the two he survived to the latest date for his death did not take place till the year fourteen o eight was john gower it is affirmed by leland in his commentarii de scriptioribus britannicus that he was of the ancient family said to have been seated at stittenham or sittenham in yorkshire before the conquest of which the duke of sutherland is now the head and mr todd in his valuable illustrations of the lives and writings of gower and chaucer octavo london eighteen ten has published a deed from the charter chest of the duke then marquis of stafford dated at stittenham in thirteen forty six to which the first of the subscribing witnesses is johannes gower and an endorsement upon which but in a hand which is admitted to be at least a century later states this person to have been sir john gower the poet this would make gower to have been born before thirteen twenty six at the latest and to have been some years beyond eighty when he died which is consistent enough with the manner in which his name is generally mentioned by old writers along with but before that of chaucer and with the express statement in some of the earlier accounts that he was the senior of the two but it has since been conclusively shown by sir harris nicholas that no reliance can be placed upon these assertions and inferences and that gower was really not a north of england but a south of england man and resided in the county of kent it is proved however by his will published by mr todd and previously by gough in his sepulchral monuments two volumes folio seventeen eighty six that he was a person of condition and possessed of considerable property he and chaucer were friends as well as contemporaries and brother poets and there appears to be no sufficient reason for the notion that has been taken up by most of the modern biographers of the latter that they were alienated from one another in their old age it may be safely assumed at least that their friendship remained unbroken down to thirteen ninety three the year in which gower as he tells us himself finished his confessio amantis where near the end he puts the following compliment to chaucer into the mouth of venus and greet well chaucer when ye meet as my disciple and my poet for in the floris of his youth in sundry wise does he well couth of ditties and of songus glade the which he for my sake made the land fulfilled is over all whereof to him in special above all other i am most hold for thee now in his day is old thou shalla him tell this message that he upon his latter age to set an end of all his work as he which is mine own a clerk to make his testament of love as thou hast done thy shrift above so that my court it may record 
this was certainly liberal repayment for chaucer's dedication to his friend probably many years before of his troilus and cressida or rather of half that work in the following sober lines o moral gower this book i direct to thee and to the philosophical strud to vouchsafe their need is to correct of your benignities and zealous good the epithet here bestowed upon gower is not perhaps exactly the one which a poet would most covet but it has stuck and moral gower is the name by which he has generally passed ever since o moral gower and lydgate laureate exclaims the scottish poet dunbar in his golden targe moral gower whose sententious dew adown reflareth with fair golden beams says hawes in his pastime of pleasure and near them sat old moral gore with pleasant pen in hand writes the author of a dialogue both pleasant and pitiful london fifteen seventy three but his publisher berthlet the printer is the most severe of all in the dedication prefixed to his edition of the confessio amantis fifteen thirty two he naively remarks it was not much greater pain to that excellent clerk the moral john gower to compile the same noble work than it was to me to print it no man he adds alluding to the former edition by caxton in fourteen eighty three will believe it without conferring both the prince the old and mine together gower is the author of three great poetical works sometimes spoken of as one though they do not seem to have had any connection of plan or subject the speculum matitantis which is or was in french the vox clamantis which is in latin and the confessio amantis which is in english but the first although an account of it founded on a mistake has been given by wharton has certainly not been seen in modern times and has in all probability perished we have other specimens however of gower's talents as a french and also as a latin poet in certain short pieces and both these languages preserved in a volume in the duke of sutherland's library at trentham staffordshire of which an account has been given by wharton history of english poetry to three thirty four to three forty one and another more full particular and exact by mr todd illustrations pages ninety three to one o eight speaking of gower's latin poetry wharton says that he copied ovid's elegiacs with some degree of purity and with fewer false quantities and corrupt phrases than any of our countrymen had yet exhibited since the twelfth century of the french pieces in that trentham volume which consist of fifty ballades or sonnets he observes they have much real and intrinsic merit they are tender pathetic and poetical and place our old poet gower in a more advantageous point of view than that in which he has hitherto been usually seen i know not if any even among the french poets themselves of this period have left a set of more finished sonnets for they were probably written when gower was a young man about the year thirteen fifty nor had yet any english poet treated the passion of love with equal delicacy of sentiment and elegance of composition four of these french sonnets are given by wharton and more correctly with the addition of a fifth by todd and the entire contents of the volume were edited for the roxburgh club in eighteen eighteen by the present duke of sutherland then earl gower under the title of ballads and other poems by john gower printed from the original manuscript latin and french black letter 
quarto london gower was probably one of the last englishmen who attempted the composition of poetry in french and at the end of one of the pieces in this volume he asked forgiveness of his reader for any inaccuracies he may have committed in the foreign idiom on the ground of his english birth and his therefore not being master of the french eloquence a c a o nai de francois la faconde pardonnez moi que io de seo for soi io suis anglois the wax clementis was edited for the roxburgh club in eighteen fifty by the rev h g cox it consists of seven books in latin elegiacs the greater bulk of the work says dr pauli the date of which its editor is inclined to fix between thirteen eighty two and thirteen eighty four is rather a moral than an historical essay but the first book describes the insurrection of wat tyler in an allegorical disguise the poet having a dream on the eleventh of june thirteen eighty one in which men assumed the shape of animals the second book contains a long sermon on fatalism in which the poet shows himself no friend to wycliffe's tenets but a zealous advocate for the reformation of the clergy the third book points out how all orders of society must suffer for their own vices and demerits in illustration of which he cites the example of the secular clergy the fourth book is dedicated to the cloistered clergy and the friars the fifth to the military the sixth contains a violent attack on the lawyers and the seventh subjoins the moral of the whole represented in nebuchadnezzar's dream as interpreted by daniel the allusion in the title seems to be to st john the baptist and to the general clamour then abroad in the country the confessio amantes has been several times printed by caxton in fourteen eighty three by berthlet in fifteen thirty two and again in fifteen fifty four and by alexander chalmers in the second volume of his english poets eighteen ten but all these previous editions have been superseded by the very commodious and beautiful one of dr reinhold pauli in three volumes october london eighteen fifty seven we will avail ourselves of dr pauli's account of the course in which the work proceeds the poem opens by introducing the author himself in the character of an unhappy lover in despair venus appears to him and after having heard his prayer appoints her priest called genius like the mystagogue in the picture of cebes to hear the lover's confession this is the frame of the whole work which is a singular mixture of classical notions principally borrowed from ovid's ars amandi and of the purely mediaeval idea that as a good catholic the unfortunate lover must state his distress to a father confessor this is done with great regularity and even pedantry all the passions of the human heart which generally stand in the way of love being systematically arranged in the various books and subdivisions of the work after genius has fully explained the evil affection passion or vice under consideration the lover confesses on that particular point and frequently urges his boundless love for an unknown beauty who treats him cruelly in a tone of affectation which would appear highly ridiculous in a man of more than sixty years of age were it not a common characteristic of the poetry of the period after this profession the confessor opposes him and exemplifies the fatal effects of each passion by a variety of opposite stories gathered from many sources examples being then and as now a favourite mode of inculcating instruction and reformation 
at length after a frequent and tedious recurrence of the same process the confession is terminated by some final injunctions of the priest the lover's petition in a strophic poem addressed to venus the bitter judgment of the goddess that he should remember his old age and leave off such fooleries his cure from the wound caused by the dart of love and his absolution received as if by a pious roman catholic such a scheme as this pursued through more than thirty thousand verses promises perhaps more edification than entertainment but the amount of either that is to be got out of the confessio mantis is not considerable ellis after charitably declaring that so long as moral gower keeps to his morality he is wise impressive and sometimes almost sublime is compelled to add but his narrative is often quite petrifying and when we read in his work the tales with which we have been familiarized in the poems of ovid we feel a mixture of surprise and despair at the perverse industry employed in removing every detail on which the imagination had been accustomed to fasten the author of the metamorphosis was a poet and at least sufficiently fond of ornament gower considers him as a mere analyst scrupulously preserves his facts relates them with great perspicuity and is fully satisfied when he has extracted from them as much morality as they can be reasonably expected to furnish in many cases this must be little enough we shall confine our specimens of gower's poetry to two short passages from the confessio amantis the first is the tale of the coffers or caskets in the fifth book which has been given by todd after a collation of the printed editions with the best manuscripts this is the story whether found by him in gower or elsewhere from which shakespeare is supposed to have taken the hint of the incident of the caskets in his merchant of venice in a chronique thus i read about a king as much need there was a knightus and seigneurs great rout and eke of officers some of long time him hadn't served and thoughten that they have deserved advancement and gone without and some also been of the rout that comin but a while agone and they advanced were anon there older men upon this thing so as they durst again the king among themselves complain and off but there is nothing said so soft that it nay cometh out at last the king it wist and all so fast as he which was of high prudence he shoped therefore an evidence of them that plainen in the cause to know in whose default it was and all within his own intent that none may wist what it meant anon he let two coffers make of one semblance and of one make so lick that no life thilke throw that one may throw that other no they were into his chamber brought but no man wot why they be wrought and nathless the king hath bed that they be set in privy stead as he that was of wisdom sly when he thereto his time sigh all privily that none it wist his own ahondas that one chest of fine gold and of fine peri the which out of his treasury was take anon he filled full that other coffer of straw and mull with stonus mend he filled also thus be they full both two so that erlick upon a day he had within where he lay there should be to form his bed a board upset and fairer spread and then he let the coffers fet upon the board and did them set he knew the name as well of though the which again him grutched so both of his chamber and of his hall anon and sent for them all and set it to them in this wise there shall no man his hap despise 
i wot well ye have longer served and god wot what ye have deserved but if it is along on me of that ye unadvanced be or else if it be long on yow the soother shall be proved now to stop her with your evil word lo here two coffers on the board jeez which you list of both the two and witten well that one of though is with treasure so full begone that if ye happa thereupon ye shall be rich at men for ever now cheese and take which you is lever but be ye well where that ye take for of that one i undertake there is no manner good therein whereof ye mightn't profit win now goeth together of one assent and taketh your advisement for but i you this day of advance it stant upon your own a chance all only in default of grace so shall be showed in this place upon you all a well of him that no defaulters shall be men they kneel in all and with one voice the king they thonken of his choice and after that they up arise and gone aside and them avise and at last they accord whereon their tale to record to what issue they befall a knight shall speak afore them all he kneeleth down unto the king and saith that they upon this thing or for to win or for to lease but he and all advised for to cheese though took this night a yurd on hond and goeth there as the coffers stand and with a scent of average one he layeth his yurda up on one and saith the king how thilka same they cheese and regurden by name and prayeth him that they might it have the king which would his honour save when he had heard the common voice hath granted them their own a choice and took them there upon the key and for he wold it were see what good they have as they suppose he bade anon the coffer unclose which was filled with straw and stones thus be they served all at once the king then in the same steed anon that other coffer indeed whereas they sigh in great richest well more than they then guess lo saith the king now may ye see that there is no default in me for thee myself i will acquite and beareth ye your own a white of that fortune hath you refused thus was this wise king excused and they left off their evil speech and mercy of their king beseech our other extract we give in the old spelling as it was contributed to the pictorial history of england by sir henry ellis from a very early manuscript of the poem in the harleian collection number three four nine zero in a chronique i find of thus how the caius fabricius which willome was consul of rome by whom uh, la laws yeda and come won the sampnetes to him brought a summer of golda and him by sought to dun him favour in the law toward the golda he gan him draw whereof in allah menace looka aparta in to his honda he took a, which to his mouth in allah haste he put hit for to smell and taste and to his eye and to his ear both he ne found no comfort there and vana he began it to despise and told unto him in this wise 
i not what is with gold to thrive one none of all o my wit is five find saviour nay delight there in so is it boat a nice a sin of golda so been to covetous both he is rich and glorious which hath in his subbection the men which in possession been rich of gold and by the skill for he may all day wan he will or be him lief or be him loath justice done upon them both lo thus he said and with that word he threw to fore him on the board the gold out of his hand anon and sighed them that he wold anon so that he kept his liberty to do justice and equity without lucre of such riches there be now few of such i guess for it was still time as used that every judge was refused which was not friend to common right both they that waldens donned upright for truth only to do justice preferred were in thilke office to dema and judge common law which now men sane is all withdraw to set a law and keep it not there is no common profit sought but above all natheless the law which is made for peace is good to keep before the best for that set all men in rest the manuscripts of the confessio amantis are very numerous there are no fewer than ten in the bodleian library and several others are in the british museum at cambridge at trinity college dublin and in private collections dr pauley's text in which he has regulated the spelling in conformity to the demands of the verse which he apparently assumes to have been as regular as that of chaucer is held to be by Turwit, is founded on the printed edition of fifteen thirty two collated chiefly with the stafford manuscript and with those in the harleian collection numbered seven one eight four three eight six nine and three four nine zero the poem extends to eight books and is expressly stated by the author to have been finished in the sixteenth year of richard the second that is in the years thirteen ninety three it had been begun some years before at the command of that king at a time when as it seems to be intimated gower was labouring under ill health though i sickness have upon hand and long have had though it is not quite clear that these words are not intended to describe his condition at the conclusion of his task he particularly gives it as his reason for choosing the vernacular language for that few were men indite in our english End of section 30